So our subject, what is the Christian's reward? Well, before we even think about that, we must first consider if the followers of Jesus Christ do get a reward. Is there a gift from God to the people that are followers of his Son? In fact, we can turn up any book in the New Testament and we can find the answer. Let's go to the chapter that Kenneth read, Matthew chapter 6, and see what we find here. Reading from verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And jumping down to verse 17. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And if we turn back a page to the previous chapter, we find the Lord Jesus telling the people about the rewards which will be theirs, if they will only follow the way of life that he is showing to them. This is verse 5 of Matthew 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, it's quite obvious from these verses that there is a reward for the followers of Christ and we're going to be finding out about it this afternoon. And as we do this, we'll consider where this reward is, what it is and when will it be. So, where does the Christian receive this promised reward? Now, many, te many churches teach that our reward is to go to God's dwelling place. That is, when we die, part of us goes to heaven to receive a reward in line with how we've led our lives before we died. And this belief comes mainly from a few verses that we can find in John's Gospel in chapter 14. 
And we'll have a look at that in a minute. We'll look at it now. Um, John 14, uh, if we read from the beginning of the chapter. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And I go, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And a great deal is made from these verses, but we need to be careful that we read them in context with the rest of John's Gospel, as well as to consider the terms that are used in these verses. We read there, my father's house, and many believe that this is heaven, and a promise that we're going to go there. But in the scriptures, we find heaven referred to as God's dwelling place, but not his house. And if we turn to John 2, we find another reference to God's house. This is verse 13 of John chapter 2. When it was... So this is verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, we find people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cards and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And we have here the father's house referring to the temple in Jerusalem. Although we will find a greater meaning as we read on in the scriptures. <coughs> However, let me just go back to John chapter 14. We read there that there were many rooms, or if we were reading the authorised version of the Bible, we would have read many mansions. Now, we surely don't imagine that heaven is laid out like some block of flats or some great housing estate with potentially stone and brick built homes. That wouldn't make sense at all. But when we examine the Greek original for the word mansion or room, we find it comes from the Greek word money. And this appears only one other time in the scriptures. And that's later on in John chapter 14. And it's in verse 23. And we find here that it's translated as home or abode. So John 14 verse 23. Jesus replied, 
Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. So, when we consider these facts, we can begin to arrive at the meaning of these opening verses in John 14. The Father's house is the true church. And Jesus is telling the disciples that there are many abiding places in the true church for those who believe on him and in God. In Peter's first letter, we won't turn there, but I'll read one verse from chapter 2. We read of the Christian disciples being referred to as living stones of which the church is built, emphasising the permanency with which the true believers find themselves in the Father's house. And this is the, the words we read. You also, like living stones are built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And likewise in Ephesians 2, I'll just read three verses there, we find Paul writing these words. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. And finally, just one last verse. This is from John chapter 3. We have these words. We find Jesus speaking to a leader of the Jews named Nicodemus. And he says, in verse 13, No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. So, it can't be clearer than that with regard to heaven going. So, if we are not to receive a reward in heaven, then where will we get it? Well, the obvious answer is that man is of the earth, so his reward will be given to him on earth. And We'll see more of this more clearly as we look on this afternoon. But the second part of our question, which happens to be our title, what is the Christian's reward? Well, what would most people choose as a great reward? I think this weekend there was a, a Euro Millions multi-rollover um, in the lottery and winnings were 80 million or 100 million pounds would that be a great reward with that money we could get anything that we desired but would that give us happiness and contentment 
we find in the scriptures that King David's son Solomon had all the money that he could ever wish for. But after Solomon had tried everything out, he concluded that, in this in Ecclesiastes, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What about a reward of good health? Well, I'm sure that we all know some people who always seem to be in good health, but it doesn't necessarily seem to make them happy. What about happiness? How about happiness as a reward? If we could always be happy. But could we sustain our happiness if those around us were unhappy? If we see others suffering, could we be happy? If we look at countries where children are dying through lack of food, and other places where there's wars and persecution and these are destroying people, can we be happy seeing that? No, there can be no real peace of mind for us knowing that our fellow citizens in the world are suffering. What about peace of mind? Could peace of mind be the Christian's reward? Well, maybe it could. During his ministry, the Lord Jesus taught his disciples that peace of mind could be theirs. Not by acquiring possessions or power or wealth, but by believing on him and by practising his way of life. I'm going to turn to Matthew 6 now. Jesus taught them that they could enter into rest where they would have no, no anxiety with regard to temporal things because God would, would look after them. So we'll read on from where Ken stopped. But we'll start at verse 24 and come back to uh, 22 in a minute. So what do we find? Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. <coughs> Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown to the fire, 
Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus was teaching them that they could enjoy a part of their reward even now if they spent their time seeking after God and his righteousness rather than trying to promote themselves and seeking after worldly possessions and wealth. The Lord taught his followers that there was a time to be happy and a time to mourn, a time to laugh, and a time to be joyful with those who had reason to be joyful. But above all, he showed Christians that there is never any need to worry, provided that we try to serve the Father to the best of our ability. And going back to verse 22 of this chapter, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. This verse gives us a, a graphic picture of a person who is filled with peace of mind. And the next verse shows us the opposite condition. The man full of dark and foreboding thoughts which will give him no rest until he dies. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? But Jesus was not only preaching of a temporal peace of mind, which would last only until we die, Jesus preached the gospel, the good news, of God's coming kingdom to this earth, when all true Christians would be endowed with immortality and would enjoy absolute and satisfying peace of mind in the service of God's Son. Yes, Jesus preached and preaches to us in the Bible about his return to this earth when he will bring the reward to those who are hasting and looking forward to the day of his return. And how do we know that he'll come back? I'm going to turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts 1, verse 9. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. 
They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, he said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The Lord Jesus is coming back to this earth. As surely as we have day and night. For in his revelation to John, he said these words. This is from Revelation 22. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. So, yes, God is wanting to reward those who believe in him and in his son. We see this again in Hebrews 11. Again, it's just one verse that I'll read. We read in Hebrews 11 about the many faithful people. But I'm just choosing verse 6. We read, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And we know from the scriptures that by their good lives, certain of God's servants have effectively already been judged faithful and are assured of a place in God's kingdom on earth when Jesus does return. In this Hebrews 11, we have a list of faithful people there. Abraham will be there, as will Isaac and Jacob and Moses. They'll all be there to receive immortality and a permanent peace of mind. And we can be amongst them when the Lord comes back, if we live the right kind of lives now. And so finally, we ask, when will God's kingdom be established on earth so that we can receive this reward? When is the Lord Jesus going to return? Well, hopefully you're still in Acts chapter 1. Because this question must have filled the minds of the disciples when they were about to witness Jesus' departure from the Mount of Olives. Reading from verse 6 this time. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. To the ends of the earth. So quite clearly from Jesus' reply, it's not God's intention that a, a few Christians of Jewish descent should be the only ones to receive the great reward of faithfulness. 
Instead, the good news should be preached throughout the whole world so that you and I might have an opportunity of hearing the gospel and of accepting this invitation put forward by God. That's why Jesus told his disciples in verse 8 that they were to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Finally then, turn to Matthew chapter 24. We find that Jesus' disciples had already asked Jesus this question of when. Matthew 24, reading from verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And jumping down to verse 30. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Verse 36. But about that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Verse 44. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. We don't know when the Lord Jesus will return to set up God's kingdom. But the scriptures do tell us of the events leading up to Jesus' return. And we can see these events coming together. The re-establishment of the nation of Israel with enemies on all sides. The violence that we have in the world around us. The increase in sexual immorality. Wars and famines with the increased terrorism and so on. But the message from chapter 24 is that we can't afford to wait until we see all these events being fulfilled. That will be too late. We must prepare now, while we have the time, while it's still today. We must show our acceptance of God's invitation to salvation by being baptised and continuing to seek God's righteousness during our short mortal lives. And in so doing this, even now, we can have a peace of mind. As we look forward with confidence to our reward of a place in 
God's everlasting kingdom here on this earth when the Lord Jesus does return to this earth.